0: Welcome to episode <laughs> odd welcome welcome to episode three sixty four uh, with my guest amy dresner uh, today's episode is sponsored by Johns Hopkins University. Every day is about making tomorrow better and is the number one ranked school of public health since nineteen ninety four johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of public health boy that's a mouthful can help you become a public health advocate to transform communal health in holistic evidence-based way. With 20-plus graduate programs and more than 300 global research projects, it is the oldest and largest school of public health. Learn more at jhsph.edu slash feelgood. We'll put this link on our website under uh, show notes. Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, protecting health, saving lives, millions at a time. Uh, I got an email, as I shared on last week's episode, um, we no longer have an Amazon link. They canceled my uh, associate account because apparently I broke the rules by mentioning there's an Amazon link on our uh, website. And uh, one of uh, one of the friends of the show uh, e- emailed me, uh, Amazon can suck a bag of dicks. And I thought, you know what though? To get them the bag of dicks, you probably have to ship it through Amazon. And you probably have to have Amazon Prime. So the dicks will probably wind up coming back to you. And then you've got a bag of dicks in your foyer. People come over. They're like, what's with the bag of dicks? You're like, I'm giving it away. But none of the charity places, uh, they'll pick up electronics, but they won't pick up a bag of dicks. (laughs) Unless you, oh, stop the bit. Stop the bit. I hope you guys survive the uh, the holidays. Um, I, you know, I love the beginning of the year because one of the things I love doing is putting together a new uh, audio montage uh, for for the show. I hope you like this this year's. Um, I like it. Uh, I was in my support group um, two mornings ago, and we were talking about the masks that that we wear and. I was describing before I I got help and got sober and started to turn my life around I viewed every almost every interaction thing I had to do event as like broken down into four parts dread doing it endure it survive it and then retreat back to whatever it was that I like to do to to numb myself. And as I look back at it now it kind of makes me sad because I mean what kind of a way is that to to go through life? It's so it's so limiting, but I suppose when we've never felt ourselves thrive, when we've never had a life that we're excited to be in because we feel like we can't be authentic. Um, it seems like that's where we go to. Like, it's just like life is this battle that we have to rage. And I know there's, there's battles in life that even if you have the best life, you're gonna, have to, you're gonna have to endure those things and there's gonna be things that you dread. But for me, that's how like every day was. And the only thing I look forward to was getting fucked up. And that was the very thing that was, was making me uh, more miserable. And suicidal, and um I don't know, I just um I hope anybody out there who is going through that the dread endure, survive retreat i I just want you to know that there there you there can be more in your life, but it usually involves asking for help, um at least for me. It did and pretty much everybody i know um which brings us to our sponsor betterhelp.com i use them i love them Uh, my therapist is awesome her name's donna and uh, i talk to her every week and she helps me out with um, there's nothing i can't talk to her about and um yeah i love it i I was i didn't know how video counseling was going to be um but it's it's great I love not having to leave my house. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. So go to betterhelp.com slash mental and make sure you go to the slash mental part because otherwise they won't know that you're coming from the show. And uh, and uh, we want them to know that uh, you guys found them through the podcast so they will continue to advertise with us. So go to betterhelp.com slash mental complete a questionnaire they'll match you with a betterhelp.com counselor and then you can experience a free week of counseling to see if uh, online counseling is right for you and uh, you need to be over 18. and there are also other uh, media that you can communicate through your therapist uh, even multiple times a week for the same price Uh, you can do it through email live text chat phone video uh, smoke signal uh, morse code um, skywriting. I might, I might be making up those last, uh,
1: those
0: last three. Um, let's do some surveys. This is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by Bridget. And, uh, she describes her depression. I'm at the bottom of a pitch black well filled with water. And even though I'm sometimes able to see the light and tread the water just fine, I'm still in the well and so close to drowning. About her anxiety, One day, perfection will come naturally to me. That is fantastic. Oh my God, that's so fantastic. That should be a t-shirt. That should be a t-shirt about uh, binge eating. I know I'll be in pain afterwards, but at least I'll feel good for a few minutes and at least the pain after will be tangible. That's a pretty profound statement. The pain will be tangible. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this person's names. Uh, Ozymandias? O-Z-Y-M-A-N-D-I-A-S? D-I-A-S? He writes about his uh, alcoholism and drug addiction, like trying to diffuse a bomb using a pair of dull scissors on wires that are tied in a ball of knots that grow bigger by the day. Wow. that's That's so good. My tooth... As my as I get older, my teeth are moving. I have never had I've only had one wisdom tooth out, and the teeth in front of my mouth are starting to crowd and sometimes I make this whistling noise when I pronounce an S and it's starting to drive me crazy. I might have to go see uh the dentist or orthodontist. I'm starting to sound like that <laughs> that guy in the western. Say there. There's. Those fellows wrote off with, with my gold, suffering succotai. This was filled out by Life's Abyss, and he writes about his bipolar. During mania, I think I can do no wrong. I should invest in myself, literally, with clothes and food. So I spend hundred and eighty dollars on a sweater when I have three hundred dollars in my account. Oh, by the way, at this point from my paychecks, I should have forty-five grand in my account, but nope. 300 it is. Uh, during the down phase, I feel like I'm falling into a bottomless pitch black hole, an abyss. Lose, lose. About his ADHD. Hmm. I wonder what my third grade teacher is up to <laughs> talking to myself during my job interview. <laughs> it's so fantastic. Um. I was what you think i hate myself normally one of the moments i regret the most that i just look back and i cringe and nobody even probably gave it a second thought but i one of the first jobs i got when i moved to los angeles was Writing marketing copy for uh, what was then the WB network. It eventually merged with uh, UPN and it became uh, the the CW. But it was a tiny little network that only had four shows, and it was a super small staff. And I was there as the network was launching. And uh, Jamie Kell- Kellner, was that his name? Yeah, Jamie Kellner was the 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 head of the network, and he would invite pretty much anybody that wanted to attend a meeting because uh, there was maybe 40 of us and we could sit in on some creative meetings sometimes about what they could do to expand the network or whatever and I so badly wanted to feel like I was in show business and I had he he, he threw the question out there um, does anybody have any ideas for um, shows or maybe personalities or actors or actresses we could get and I'm racking my brain, just wanting to be seen. And I heard the sentence come out of my mouth. I wonder what Cher's up to. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, did I really just say that? Oh, when I told my friends and uh, uh, I think I think they they made fun of me for about 10 years after that. I think they've forgotten by now. Um, getting back to uh, his survey about his anxiety. Uh, the waiter messed up my order. I apologized. <laughs> so great. By his codependency. She cheated on me about five times, but I need her. She's the only one that cares. She can help fix me. Um, those are great. Thank you. This is a snapshot from his life. And He writes, I took the entire bottle of meds ready to die. Instead, I woke up in the hospital to my parents saying, What did they do wrong? Then my dad says, If anything ever happens to you, I would leave your mom. What the fuck does that mean? I still can't work past my anxiety to confront him about it. I, yeah, that is baffling. What? What? <laughs> if anything ever happens to you, I would leave your mom. Like, is he insinuating that it was all her fault? And anyway, continuing. Even during my stay in the psych ward, my dad kept pushing me to tell the doctors I was fine, that it was a mistake because of a breakup. The moment I left the hospital, my dad took the prescriptions the doctor wrote, ripped it, and threw it in the trash. That is one of the most fucked up snapshots I have ever heard in reading this. and doing the show, reading that, you know, short of, of... you know, somebody being raped or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But just in terms of somebody not seeing you, not seeing the human being before them and just creating, molding you into what they want to parade around town. That that, that one really fucking got to me. All right. This is an awful moment filled out by Molly. And she writes When I found out my best friend suffered from depression and anxiety on the same level as I did, and hearing that she's wanted to kill herself from a very early age oh from a very early age. We've been friends since we were both five and we were both Very lonely all our childhoods, besides each other, I guess. Uh, I just know that if I wouldn't have met her, I'd probably be much more in my dark headspace for more of my childhood, and I might have even acted on my suicidal thoughts. It was then that I realized we needed each other, and we were lucky to have found each other. We're still friends to this day, and she helps me a lot when I need to talk, seeing as she's one of the only people I can talk to about this stuff. I love that. I would I would consider that a happy moment. That's uh um that's awesome. Thank you for that. This is a uh, struggle in a sentence filled out by <laughs> Fart Nugget Mom. Um about uh this is she deals with a uh, depression and anxiety um and she is a, a sex crime victim and struggles with her anger and a snapshot from her life she writes I'm at my grandparents in-law's 50th anniversary party. A family member I haven't seen comes up to me and tells me they're engaged. I congratulate them and tell them I'm I'm so happy for them. Four years later, I'm still playing this situation back in my mind, wondering if they thought I was genuine enough when I said I was happy for them. Just one of the wonderful benefits of having anxiety. Oh my god, the ruminating, the ruminating. Sir Ian, the musician, uh, writes about his depression. uh, As if you just found out that all your friends and family and anyone capable of understanding you has suddenly died. And then, um, snapshot from his life. I'm at the counter in a fast food restaurant ordering food and I don't know why I'm crying. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that is one of the things that... There are so many aspects to depression that it is such a multifaceted thing. Anger is one that doesn't get talked about a lot in, in depression. And the other one is the crying for no reason. And man, when I was at my most depressed, I would cry in traffic. I would cry when I was jogging. I would, every time I would jog. This Dave Matthews song, would come on, the, the song uh, Lie in Our Graves. And by the way, nice upbeat music I chose. Um, that song would come on and I felt, I, I I don't know, it just, something in it spoke to me and I would just be jogging with sweat and tears and snot running down my face. That must have been quite a sight for the the neighbors. Maybe they thought the tears were uh, were sweat. Maybe I should give myself credit that I could sweat And cry and wheeze at the the same time. (laughs) Look at that guy over there, sweating. I don't know. I think he's crying. Why do you say that? Well, he's sucking his thumb. should have mentioned that I do that. This is a body shame survey filled out by Yo. And uh, what do you like or dislike about your body and why? Um, She writes... I hate being fat. Correction. I don't hate it. My mother does. Uh Sure, I like a hot body, but it was difficult to lose 20 kilograms. It's not enough for her. A little about my past. I got super skinny, but I gained all that weight back. The reason I don't know, I do not know. I didn't do it on purpose, that's for sure. I wish my mom would stop hating me and saying things like, I don't care if it kills you, but you are going to lose weight. Oh my god. The things that fucking parents say to their kids is just mind-blowing. You know, the the expectations that are put on women in, in society to look a certain way, you know, we talk a lot about um, how they're portrayed in the media and that's clearly something that contributes to it, but... Why aren't we talking more about the messages, both overt and covert, that their parents give to them? Uh, I've read so many surveys over the years where um, somebody's eating disorder is born out of that, usually mother's, anxiety about her body or what she's eating and, um, yeah, I don't know. This is a uh, psych ward experience uh, survey filled out by Jimmy John, and he was hospitalized for suicidal ideation, alcohol abuse, and refusing to get on meds. And uh, he writes, "I found the hospital very relaxing." By the way, this is like a 200-year comet. This his description of his experience in the in the psych ward. I've read a few like it, but they are few and far between. I found the hospital very relaxing. I would like to go back. It is a safe memory, but at the same time, I need to live life. I was diagnosed with bipolar type one, which explains so perfectly what I had struggled with for ten years. I was also able to see the benefits of being on medications instead of being scared. I was also put in touch with an amazing psychiatrist who has helped me. My God would I love to get to a place where that is the norm. If you hear if you're listening, Jimmy John, please email me because I want to know where you went and I want to find out what they did and communicate that to as many people as I can, especially people that, that uh, run facilities or know people who run facilities. Uh, and then finally, this is an awful moment filled out by Psych Ward Jesus. And um, his op- oh, it's a... Uh, It's a she, and she writes, uh, when I went manic, I thought I was Jesus, and I tried to give my mom a Girl Scout cookie, shortbread, as a communion. She wouldn't take it, so I threatened to kill myself, and she called the police, and I was taken to the psych ward. When I told my sister, she said, I would have been saved a trip to the psych ward if I'd used a thin mint. There's a part of me inside that I don't want anyone to know about because it's weird and gross and lame, and people will hate me.
2: In our size. My father was a notorious pimp in Boston. I can't do this anymore. It
1: was kind of like Scott face.
2: If you can change somebody's life just by listening To vulnerability, uh, comes healing.
1: It felt like I'd been holding a sword and shield and I dropped them. And to this day, I have never had a better night's sleep.
2: I started crying in a job interview saying, and I was like, Ellie is hard, man. Ellie <laughs> LA so hard. And I, I didn't get that job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm here with uh, Amy Dresner who has a hilarious new book uh called My Fair Junkie and uh a memoir of uh getting dirty and staying clean uh, but it's it's about a lot more than that yes. and um about the emotions that drove the acting out with drugs and sex and all kinds of other stuff um What might people know you uh, from?
2: Probably my stuff for The Fix. I've been a columnist for the addiction recovery magazine, Mm thefix.com, for over five years. And my piece is, I'm sort of the enfant terrible of the site. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've also started to write for Daily Tonic, but The Fix has sort of been my home. I was a comic briefly for like
0: five years. It's always hard to tell from somebody's... uh, you know, either their Wikipedia page or their website. I didn't even what- know I had a Wikipedia page. You- Someone told me. I was like,
2: "Really?" I was like, "Oh, that's frightening." <laughs> what does that say? Oh my god! <laughs> but this is my first. Uh, this is my first book, and well, I'm really proud of it. And like you said, it's like, yes, it's an addiction memoir, but it's it's about the feelings, and it's also about my transformation through losing everything, mm-hmm. through my arrest, and you know sweeping them joining the chain gang you know yeah. and all this kind of stuff it's like
0: it's right. some of the vignettes in it are uh, <laughs> they're like movie worthy um they're well there's they're,
2: we're actually negotiations for a series
0: i can absolutely see that um where do, where do we begin? You're, you you know. were raised a uh, uh, wealthy Jewish girl in Beverly Hills. You got it. Screenwriter
2: um, father, designer mother. A lot of mental illness on both sides. Yeah. Um. My my grandfather had electroshock therapy. He was given Milltown, the f- very first antidepressant. I had another great grandma who I think was in an asylum her whole life. That's on one side. My father just sort of drinks a lot, and he's like, I'm a Jew, and I'm a writer, and I drink, and it's like works for him. My mom's, uh, my grandma's schizophrenic, my uncle's schizophrenic. She had another uh, aunt. I have an aunt who uh, was in an asylum her whole life and another aunt who starved herself to death after a wow. uh, breakup, after a, a relationship that she wanted her, her parents wouldn't allow it and she's just stopped eating and she died. And um,
0: you've been uh, in the psych ward multiple times? I've been 5150'd four times. Multiple suicide attempts? Three suicide attempts. Still, and obviously not very successful yes. at it. <laughs> Do you think, though, if you really uh, focus, you can get that number higher? Oh, yeah. Okay.
2: I mean... Put your nose uh, to the uh,
0: grindstone, Amy.
2: <laughs> I don't think that ever... Well, I cut the wrong way. You know, I cut, yeah. I cut across. I didn't cut...
0: Such an amateur mistake. I know, mistake. right?
2: What a, what a loser. <laughs> uh, I still ended up with stitches. This was, in, this was in England. I was living in England, and they don't really... They don't really have a lot of empathy for you there. So I took a box cutter and I slashed my wrists. And then I sort of, you know, put the blood all over my face and, you know, really, really dramatic and got taken to the hospital. And they gave me a tetanus shot and they sewed me up. And boy, I was wasn't I lucky. I almost, you know, cut this tendon that controls your pinky and she said you seem like a smart girl except you know except for this dumb maneuver cutting yourself with a knife and I go it wasn't a knife I said it was a it was a box cutter and she goes that's great but you're not a box are you <laughs> so <laughs> and they sewed me up and sent me home they didn't 5150 me and my mom had to fly over and bathe me for the next two weeks because you had to keep oh that God. you had to keep
0: saran wrap over the stitches what no- were, what were those conversations like oh
2: no one's, you know, no one feels bad for you after you try, uh, you know, after you try and commit suicide. Everyone's really angry. That was my experience. Yeah. They're really really pissed at you and freaked out and hurt and you know, so that was one suicide attempt. Uh, another one was, a, you know, a knife one. Another one was pills. Um, but you know, that's I think that's what's funny is that sort of thinking never goes away. That's still sort of my out. Mm-hmm. You know, well if that doesn't work out, I'll just kill myself. It's like you know, it's still sort of an out for yeah. me. Um, and I've been on oh god every antidepressant that there is. Name one. I've been on them all.
0: I've, uh, I've probably been on 17 different ones, but okay. I finally, so, right. finally found a combination. That really? For oh, me. that's good. 16 or 17 years into
2: Yeah. It's
0: not, it's definitely an art. It's not a science, it, is it? It is definitely. I know. Definitely. Yeah. It takes a lot of patience. Yeah. And, uh, resisting the temptation to micromanage your, uh, psychiatrist and say, oh, well, they don't, they don't really of know. Of course. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. He of warned me. Do not. Go off your meds. I highly advise you oh, not God. to. And I was like, nah, he doesn't know. And what does did. he know? Ref, okay. I did, and I wanted to kill myself, oh. and I couldn't <laughs> see. It was the depression, and I got fooled by it. Uh, but that's why I started this podcast, because I, I went, fuck, I was fooled by it. Yeah. And I believe that mental illness is a real thing. I believe in therapy and psychiatry and meds if necessary. Absolutely. And I fucking almost died. Because well, it's in your head. Yeah. Yeah, it's the best CGI ever, or the most believable right? CGI ever. You're like, oh, my, my life really is pointless. It's
2: like, I mean, yeah, I have this and I have, you know, alcoholism. And so, I mean, those that combination is yeah. so much fun. Yeah. It's really a blast. I mean, I've been sick for like three weeks, to almost two, three weeks. Me in my bed with my head. Wow, what a fucking <laughs> ride. It's like... you know now i'm finally feeling better and i'm just like in a total depression i'm just like oh you know my head just been just talking
0: to me yeah k-fuck my support group we call it so gnarly so
2: gnarly uh but you've been sober a couple of years i'll be sober five years january 2nd not my first rodeo but i'm back and this was a different you got back on the bowl Mm -hmm. that's what that's what matters was a
0: different this was pretty life-changing so I I'd like to uh talk about your childhood. Give us some some uh little snapshots or vignettes or stories from your childhood or adolescence that you think kind of paints uh a picture of things that might have um formed you into the mess that you <laughs> were, you know, a couple of years ago.
2: Um I was shuttled around a lot as a kid. My parents are uh both well my mom's 40 years sober now she so she was an alcoholic there was a lot of drinking and fighting and they split when i was two i was shuttled around you know put on airplanes at two years old by myself between countries between cities so i think that made me feel never sort of grounded and connected so i have like really crazy abandonment issues how
0: old were they when you uh, were you when they split two Hmm.
2: so i started getting you know flown around and you know I'd be with my mom, i would be with my dad, and my mom, and the dad, you know, and then they split the week and then they, so um, my mother, like I said, comes from her, her mother was schizophrenic and, mm-hmm. you know, beat her. And so it's like she, I just never felt like I could get enough from her. She, she was, um, she's a very loving person, but she has sort of a flat affect and she was also a workaholic. And mm-hmm. so I just always, there's a bit in my book where I'm sort of run to her when she comes home and I'm like, mom, mom, and I must be, you know, I don't know, 10. And she goes, wait, just let me get changed. Don't, don't, don't crease up my Armani suit. And I just couldn't wait. And it's like, I slept in my mom's bed with her till she was, till I was 13. Cause it was the only time to really be close to her. I just wanted to be close to her. And she, because she'd been beaten and stuff, she w- didn't like to be touched.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's hard, man. Yeah,
2: so that was really tough. And it's like, I can still see that in relationships today where it's like, love me, touch me, hold me, pay attention to me, you know? Mm -hmm. And then with my father, he was a screenwriter and I was sort of his emotional wife. You know, he's been married four times. We're very close. We're very similar. And I was sort of raised to be his companion. You know, witty and play poker and mix a drink and, you know, like a, almost like a, like a man with tits. So, you know, I played basketball and he taught me how to ride a bike and bowl and, you know, but nothing, you know, my mom moved to Mexico when I was 13. So no one taught me, no one was there to wrangle me through puberty. You know, makeup or any of that stuff. Mm. So I'm very, I have a lot of masculine energy. I'm kind of aggressive and I thought men liked intellectual women and women that were funny. And sort of I got out into the real world and men were like, yikes. <laughs> they were sort of like, wow, you are fucking terrifying. They're like, you are really aggressive and intellectual and you're just too much like me. And I was like, a man with a pussy, what more could you want? You know, I didn't understand. It's taken me a lot of years to sort of like drop that identification with my father and sort of that, you know, and to, to sort of embrace my softness. Yeah. And my femaleness. As uh, I sit here in a ripped t-shirt that looks like a homeless person.
0: <laughs> uh, the Doing this podcast more and more I see the ripples of a parent parentifying a child. Mm -hmm. And it it feels like such an honor when you're the child, when it's happening. But then you grow up and you realize that you didn't get to be seen as a child. You kind of stepped into a role and it was attention, but it was attention for kind of the other. Yeah. person it was serving their needs yeah. instead of your needs do you do you find that you have difficulty uh having needs asking to have your needs met asking for help um or are those mm, things you're kind of okay yeah, with Yeah I'm pretty I'm 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 pretty greedy
2: and entitled and sort of that sort yeah. of something that I had to work to sort of be less like that um Did your father in or in relationships mom? maybe not yeah. you know in, in 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 sexual and romantic relationships I have a harder time sort of uh, asking for my needs, but at, for my friends and stuff like that. I mean, I was very spoiled as a child. I was, you know, I was, they gave me what I wanted. I was very spoiled, but they also really coddled me and they were sort of frightened. My my father's aunt uh, has cerebral palsy. There, she, there was a birth uh, incident where his mother died while she was born and she, her air was cut off and now she's has cerebral palsy. And so I think my father... His model of, of how to parent was how to parent someone who was sort of disabled. And mm. so uh, they crippled me by not letting me do things on my own. They were really sort of frightened. I and see. um And also with money, fixing it all with money, throwing yeah. money at it. And that ends up, you, you don't have to ever do anything for yourself. And so you don't, and then you haven't, and then you don't think you can, and mm. then you are crippled. Yeah, and then I lost everything when I pulled a knife on my ex-husband, high on oxycontin, and a bread
0: knife, by the way, for our for our audience. I mean, it was a
2: scary knife. I mean, it was it was like a it was like a sourdough. you know, bread cutting knife, but it was a sc- it was a t- it was a scary Listen, knife.
0: In, unless you're stabbing somebody in San Francisco, that's not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> the sourdough knife.
1: Um,
2: um, and then I lost everything, and then I really learned how to take care of myself, which was sort of a turning point in the book and in my life. Yeah, and in my depression, to be honest with you.
0: So, give me uh, two things. I, I would like uh, some some vignettes, some stories uh, from childhood or adolescence mm-hmm. and i'd also like you to to talk about something that i think is so important and never gets talked about really in our country which is the effect of a workaholic parent mm. and people throwing money at children and children believing that that means that they're they're blessed you right. know not not understanding the difference between financial wealth and emotional right wealth
2: um, vignettes, uh... Imagine
0: living in, in Beverly Hills. You saw that
2: all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, my father very much, though, sort of kept it. We were not super rich compared to sort of, like, mm-hmm. you know, the Tory Spellings that I was going to school with. Yeah. I mean, but I was going to school with it at the same school. But my father, you know, he, uh, he kept, you know, he kept the dial down. He didn't let me get a brand new car. Like, everyone got a BMW convertible. He kept mm-hmm. the dial down and stuff like that. But, okay. um... It wasn't until later that I realized how sort of spoiled – I think, okay, here's – I must have been 10, and my mom said, wash the dishes, and I said, that's what the maids
0: are for. Oh, my God.
2: Yeah, right? Wow. Okay.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's a spoiled brat for you. Yeah. Um, Thank God you've grown to the point where you can look back. It's like, and, oh and- God!
2: I mean, yeah. It's like th- that might have been where you started. I started to go awry. I mean, I, I this is this is very embarrassing and painful to talk about. But when I got, because I was so close to my father, and he was my main parent, and my mother, my mother was living in Mexico at the time. She moved down there when she was, when I was thirteen. Mm-hmm. So I hit puberty, and I remember I, I got my period, and I actually. I didn't want to be sexualized because I thought if I became sexualized at all, that my father would push me away. And he was my main parent. He was my mom. Like, if I had nightmares, I'd crawl in a bed with my dad, even at like 15. And so I needed to stay asexual and sort of a child. Mm-hmm. So I got my period and I, I wrote a note and I said, I I, um, I got my period. Please don't think I'm a grown up. And I like threw a note on his desk and I went into my closet and I cried. And I was like, wow. and I was like, maybe 13 or 14. And he came up and he said, um... Okay, Ames. Do you want to go to the pharmacy? And I was like, yeah. And um, that sort of stuck with me for a long time. Also, when I was around thirteen, this is really I haven't I've not, I've not told this story. It's not in the book, and uh, they wanted it to be. So you're you're getting the the, get the goods again because I was confused by the sort of not emotional incest, but the closeness and that my father was my mom. At, Mm -hmm. figurehead Um, my father once said I'm feeling sexual vibes from you and I was 13 and he said you need to become aware of those and sort of redirect them to a more appropriate and I felt something inside me die and I just I shut down and I did not kiss anyone until I was 18 years old I didn't lose my virginity until I was 19 years old Um, and the first time I made out with someone I broke out in hives I mean, I just felt like sex was not an area for me. Like, that was like police tape off. Like, you're not allowed. It felt very like I wasn't allowed to be in that area. I wasn't allowed to be a sexual grown-up person, which is ironic because then later I become a sex addict going through the divorce, which was a real, I think, a backlash, not just against, you know, my crappy marriage and not just a way to check out of w- while trying to stay sober but also a way to be like hey fuck you like i am i own my own sexuality i'm fucking you
0: you mm-hmm. know and a
2: backlash against you know my father and all that kind of stuff yeah. it was
0: a way for me to own it i had to really
2: overdo it to sort of yes. own it
0: which which is what you classically see too with people who've experienced sexual trauma as they become very promiscuous or completely shut down yeah. or go back and forth of between course. the two and then they blame themselves They're like well of course you know uh you know i got raped cuz look i'm uh you know i'm loose right. or you know what then it just compounds the shame and the pain and uh it's it's so heartbreaking when you hear stories of uh of that um uh, let's go back to that uh the moment that you shared um where your dad talked about Actually, before we do that one, let's go back to the one where you threw the note. Oh, God. Um, I mean, that is like... I just did one. I was like, please don't think I'm a grown-up. That,
2: to me, says everything. Elaborate on that. I didn't want him to see me as a woman or that I was growing up. I wanted him to see me as a child so he would take care of me and he would stay a, a maternal, paternal caretaker. He was my main care, care, caretaker. And I think that, for me... I have resisted growing up until literally this last couple of years when I lost everything. I was, you know, I had a trust fund and then I married a rich man and I wanted everyone to take care of me and fix it for me. I never wanted to grow up and I never, you know, and then all of a sudden I lost everything and ended up in sober living, you know, on the chain gang, sweeping the streets, uh on medical disability and it was just like, "Whoa." like the bottom that, you know, you think that there's the bottom dropped out. And I was like, everyone, I was responsible for myself. You know, I think you meet your destiny on the road. You go to avoid it. I was, you know, I was like, I don't want to take care of myself. And I was like, really bitch. Okay. (laughs) Here, here's you getting to work for $10 an hour in your forties when you're magna cum laude and sweep shit with convicts and, you know, get fucking humble. Eat this. And I was like, I really sort of got it. I was like, oh, wait a second. I need to take all the consequences of all my actions. No one's going to save me. Mm-hmm. No one's going to fix me. That was a big one. Men are going to yes. fix me. This guy's going to
0: fix me. And you discovered gratitude, I would oh, imagine. Oh,
2: you think? It's
0: like when you have been... To, oh, the, to the depths yeah. you appreciate even a 1 meter rise above the ocean floor
2: yeah it was really really intense you know and uh and no one it was just all the things i thought would never happen to me happened to me and you know i mean my for me my addiction and my mental illness are are Intertwined. Yes. So I, I, it was about 15 that I started to feel sort of depressed. And um, at, a, at 19, I had my first nervous breakdown.
0: Before we get there, let's go back to the I don't want to grow up. Why would you think that your dad wouldn't be as close to you or as interested in you if you were an ad- adult woman or, you know, not a not a child.
2: I thought he would feel frightened by my
0: sexuality because of that thing he said to you that one time or did that come later.
2: Yeah. And I just It was just a sense I had of him, you know, also the 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 qualities in 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 me that he were that, that he was bringing out were also, you know, these masculine qualities and like I said I thought that I was sort of being raised to be sort of the perfect companion. But he never married anyone like that. He married these really beautiful, Gentile-looking, quiet women that weren't that smart, and I was, like, really confused. Mm. And I still – you know, men are like, you're a lot. You're really – you're super, super smart, and you're really aggressive, and blah, blah. And it's like, I I never – I don't think I had a choice to be any other way. Um, I just – we were very. I mean, I used to hold his hand when I was seventeen years old, and people didn't know if I was his girlfriend or his daughter.
0: Yeah, well, if you were in Beverly Hills, they would think it was his, girl, his girlfriend. <laughs> they go, "No, that's no way."
2: And I don't think. That, I mean, there was never. We were. We there was never a cross, but it got confusing.
0: Yeah. Um, have you ever had sexual feelings towards your father? No. Do you? think or feel that he has ever had them towards you
2: no i don't Not i don't know i don't think so i mean okay. we've been not that i know of i mean we've dealt with some of the stuff in therapy but uh when i got divorced my ex-husband wrote my father a, a a note and said wrote wrote to me he said you can fuck your dad now and he'll give you everything that you need so what you've always wanted i was like, Oof. Why do, you, why do you think he wrote that? I because think, it's a fear of yours? No, I think he thinks that my father ruined me for other men. Because he spoiled you or mm-hmm. gave you everything and fixed yeah. it and protected me and threw money at it and was endlessly loving and forgiving and thought I was just, you know,
0: it. Yeah. So it's like he fed you candy. Yeah. And, and it- no
2: one can ever compete. You know, so everyone's like, well, my dad, blah, blah, blah. my papa, blah, blah, blah you know yeah. I think a lot of that has calmed down now but um, I definitely I think I married a parent I think we all sort of marry a parent we we almost <laughs> always
0: do some you know, type of redo yeah, on so, an area that didn't yeah, satisfy us my ex-husband
2: was sort of you know, a combination of sort of the emotional coldness and shutdown and workaholism of my mom. But he sort Mm of had the, you know, I'll I'll take care of the taxes and I've got the money situation that my dad did. I mean, I never did my own taxes until this year. I finally did five years of back taxes. I didn't do my own taxes until I got divorced. I mean, I've been really kind of dragging my feet on the
0: grown-up stuff. So... It's... What does it feel like on a day when you wake up and you realize you have some type of responsibility that you never had before that. Does it's, it feel overwhelming uh, oh, do you totally. want to you wanna shut down? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Do, do, I mean, I I mean for me, I just I feel very stressed out by all the adult stuff and what happens is I get depressed. I mm. go I take I take to my bed. I still do that. That's my way now, you know. I
0: I just go to, I go to bed. Nobody nobody gets us like our pillows. Nobody. You know,
2: I just said, like, I can't deal. I'm, sh- I'm unplugging. Cannot deal. Because what am I going to do? I can't. I, you know, I was, I've done the self-harm. I've been addicted to every drug. I've shot coke in my neck. I've, you know, tried to kill myself. I've been on all the meds. I've done all the therapies. It's like, and it, uh, you know, I, I call friends and support or whatever. But sometimes I just go, hey, I can't deal. I want to help.
0: I think that 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 is awesome. (laughs) I really do, because the day I stop shaming myself for taking naps is the day I stop pouring gasoline on the fire. Yeah. Because nobody has ever become the person they want by telling themselves they're a piece of shit. Oh, no. Yeah. Shame.
2: Yes. Forget. I'm I'm there. And that's a reason I also I was so open about in the book. Because i just like, fuck shame. I mean, you did the best you could at the time with the tools you had at the time. That's it. If you could have done better, you would have done better. Yeah. I mean, you know, I did some horrible, horrible things. And God, oh. I wish I could go back and undo
0: them. But I can't. Well, let's, get, get, let's, let's get to those. <laughs> uh-huh. But first, uh, so then the uh, I don't want to grow up. Uh, don't think of me as a woman, and then the other thing was, oh, I feel like we we covered the, yeah, the so sexual and energy. Yeah. Um, uh, before you get to that, touch on the materialism. What, you, how you see that being um, um, not in just Beverly Hills and, and wealthy areas, but God. in kind of America in general. If you have any thoughts on that? Because I feel like you, having been raised where you are, that's like the cliché. Of course. Of, of spoiled. I, don't, and yeah. I can't spend time with you, but I can buy you something My dad nice. did spend
2: time with me. I mean, but I did have a clothing allowance. And I went to camp and you know, sleepaway camp and, you know, with horses and, you know, mm-hmm. all that kind of shit. It's like, right. um, and I had lavish birthday parties and I went to the best schools and, mm-hmm. um, I don't think I really appreciated what I had because I was surrounded by people that had the same amount or more. Mm -hmm. Um, When I moved to San Francisco when I was 24, um, after my second nervous breakdown... uh,
0: So you go north as you get (laughs) crazy.
2: Um which is where I found crystal Math, which took me to brought me to my knees very quickly. Um, you know, it's very cool to be anti-capitalistic and anti-materialistic in San Francisco. It's all like hippie and free. And, you know, you don't want to be weighed down by possessions, man, or taxes or jobs or whatever. So it was like, so I tried to fit in there. So no one I, ha- I, I hung out with had money. So I pretended I didn't have money either. And it was like a whole different world. Did you, know? you like that? yeah I kind of did you know it's like it was like me and a bunch of gutter punks and skinheads living in a flop house in lower hate in the 90s and I mean I was we were running drugs there was a weird camaraderie I'd never had as a single child you know growing up it was like I never I don't have brothers sisters so I was alone a lot so there was a weird sort of like we all shared stuff drugs and you know food and this kind of stuff um but I don't think. I, I think that when you're given too much money, at least this is my experience, it killed my ambition. Mm-hmm. I never had to work. I never, you know, because I didn't have to. I had a fucking trust fund, and so I could write when I felt like it, which is not being a writer. So I have, you know, I I have half, you know, six half dozen, dozen you know, finished novels on my on my computer. I never did anything, and. There's nothing that feeds depression like not doing anything, mm. having too much free time on your hands, and f- feeling like you're not accomplishing anything. And then then you're depressed, and then you can't do anything because you're depressed, and it's this horrible cycle.
0: And then you choose something to numb the depression, which right. is usually something that brings you shame
2: right yeah then i was like shooting coke or doing crystal which was like prozac with wings i was like hey this stuff works you know it's like (laughs) wait a second why isn't everyone on this this is the this is better than zoloft what the fuck are they doing you know and then you know that stops working then you're depressed and you're you're addicted or the or the the depression rises through you know know, the high Mm -hmm. and um
0: did you see a lot of and this will be my last question on this subject before before we move to something else, but did you see um a lot of examples of sadness among the the rich, uh where there was a, there was a lot of financial wealth, but there there was a, a vacancy, an emptiness of um you can see people kind of emotionally starving, be it the father the, or the mother or the children. Uh, no,
2: I don't really remember that. But what I have seen since I've gotten, you know, I've done my six times in rehab is that the kids that have endless money can't get clean because mm-hmm. there's no bottom yeah, and there's no repercussions. And I mean, that was it. We, I got scholarship. To, I tried to kill myself. I was left penniless in a psych ward. My ex was like, I'm done with this. You're on your own. I'm over it. You tried to kill me.
0: Did he give you back the bread knife? <laughs> <laughs> and some cream cheese?
2: <laughs> I never use knives now. I only use chopsticks. Everyone feels so much safer.
0: Um, and you said to him, uh, when you came out of with the knife, I'll gut you like a fish, fish. you fat, fat fuck. fuck. Oh, God. Oh. Right, just so
2: horrible. Oh, it's in the audio book. Oh. Just brutal. And got arrested for felony domestic violence with a deadly weapon. And, and trying to talk
0: your way out of it from the backseat of the oh, cop car. Oh, it's so
2: not, Was yeah. I was like, perhaps we were just jousting, you know? And they were so not amused by me at all. I mean, I was such an asshole, too. I was really, really high. It was really loaded. And they're like, you have the right to me. And I'm like, I know my rights. Law and Order is my favorite show. You know? It's just like, oh, God, that's going to help, Amy. I mean, never been arrested before. Felony domestic violence. That was some life-changing shit. That was gnarly. It was really, really bad. It was so bad. I mean, my parents were just. That was definitely one that they were like, "This, that's not going to happen." I was like, "Wait, surprise! I have more tricks to pull out of my dysfunctional hat." It's not just, you know, eating disorders and drug use and mental illness and suicide attempts. Look, now I have an arrest for felony domestic violence. My God. Yeah, so I got a year of. Uh, Anger management and 240 hours of community labor, which is not community service.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Community, la- that's like picking you know, up trash yeah, on the side of the yeah, highway. That shit, yeah. 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 I was the only girl, usually, I was the only, pretty much the only white person, too. And it was like, they'd be like, What you here for, Weta? I'm here for a DUI. And I was like, I'm here for felony domestic violence with a deadly weapon. And they're like, Oh, shit, you know? <laughs> so I was like, And again, it was like another situation where I just needed to fit in. I really just kept my head down and I just needed to fit in. And uh, it was very, very humbling. Uh And I felt I felt I saw all these mentally ill drug addicted people on the streets when we were when I was doing my 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 stint. And I just knew there, but for the grace of God, go I. Like if if it wasn't for my family, you know, Mm -hmm. supporting me and just kept throwing me back into rehab, like, thank God that they did, you know, Mm -hmm. because that so could have been me. But there was a point where my dad was just like, you know what? Enough. Like I'm, I'm done. I'm over the, the, um, the coaster. Mm -hmm. You drained me financially and emotionally for years. I'm over it. You know, call me when you have good news or don't call me. Good for him, man. And I was like, probably saved your life. I was like, whoa, you know, it was like a huge slap on the face. My mother was more because she'd been an alcoholic. She was more. She understood it. My father. But it was, you know, losing everything turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me. But, you know, it was not at the time. I was like, Woohoo, this is awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I did have this epiphany. I mean, I don't know if I want to ruin it for readers, but it was like I was sweeping the streets and I was just feeling so fucking sorry for myself. And I'm in sober living with girls in their 20s. I'm in my 40s. And it was like, I've lost everything and I'm starting from scratch. And I just thought, wait a second. This could be the best thing that ever happened to you. Or this could be the worst thing that ever happened to you. And you get to decide what that is. There's a lesson here, Amy. Amy. There's a reason this happened. This is a fucking turning point that could change you and make you into who you want to be if you look at it that way. Wow, yeah, I had that epiphany, and I was like, you know, and i I sweep very well now. If you want me to sweep up the <laughs> office after we're done here, I'm terrific sweeper. I won't fight it. <laughs> I won't fight it. Um but I really mean that's it. what the maids are for. <laughs> Can you believe that? Yeah. So obnoxious. What a turnaround, right? How okay. ironic. The universe is like, I'm going to make that bitch sweep those streets. <laughs> Sweeps <laughs> poo and syringes.
0: <laughs> oh my God. So if you could, I like to ask this question a lot of the, my guests. If you could go back to yourself when you were 13 and you could talk to yourself, you could have adult Amy, talk to 13 year old Amy. What would you say to her? And what might you ask her in case she w- had something she wanted to say that, uh, that nobody was asking her?
2: I really don't even know the answer. That question. I mean, I was already in therapy. I just, but I are I already hated myself. I already felt insecure. I don't know if you've talked about body dysmorphic disorder on here. Yeah, we do. But I I have that. So that started really early. I always just felt just unlovable and ugly and weird and on the outside and I mean, I guess I would just say you know I would I would not shame myself for that comment that my dad met, that my dad said and I would say sexuality is normal. It's natural. It's a part of, it's, it, it's a part of your life. It's, it, it, it is an integral part of your right as a human being. Don't feel weird about it because now I've all, you know, now I'm shifted between being overly sexual and then having periods. I had seven years of celibacy prior to my marriage when i lost my regime was a horrible experience and i completely shut down and then i'll get really really promiscuous and then i'll shut down again mm. so i haven't found that except when i was in this last relationship that ended and he broke up with me and now i'm shut down again mm. So i don't feel safe again you know yeah. um i would just be like you're enough you don't have to destroy yourself you know no one knows what the fuck they're doing <laughs> with that wouldn't that have been awesome <laughs> You know what I mean? Everyone's faking it.
0: And what do you think 13-year-old you would have said when she heard that?
2: I think I was, you know, I I thought it was going to be easy for me. I thought my life was going to be really easy. You know, I had dad in the film business. We were living in Malibu. I was getting straight A's. And i I don't think I ever thought. You know, I was afraid of drugs. I didn't smoke or drink or do any drugs or you know anything until I was nineteen. So I, I was very to purity. I was really chaste, and I had no—I just had no idea. I was—I've always been unbalanced that way. You know, either all the way over, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's very sort of, you very, know, alcoholic. It's like very much either so. I'm smoking meth or I'm vegan. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, <laughs> calm down. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like relax, you know, finding that middle ground. I had no idea. I was very naive about the world and I thought things were going to be very easy for me. And I remember, <clears throat> I remember I had a meeting. I must have just gotten out of college at CA. My dad hooked it up to be an agent's assistant. And I just went in there with so much fucking attitude. And I just, you know, and again, I think that that puff reek, you know, is a is a disguise for feeling insecure. But I think I felt very entitled and spoiled from my upbringing. You know, when I went in there and I had my meeting and well, my father this and da 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 da, you know, and he said, "Uh uh-huh. Well, thanks for coming. He said, well, you'd have to start in the mail room. I said, oh, the mail room, you know. 21 22 give me a break the man no you know don't you know who i am kind of thing yeah. and uh he said to me well thanks for coming and next time i'd be more eager and less attitudinal i'll never forget that i'll never forget that i was like that was one and also i was i guess it was 22 23 i was doing uh i was working at uh retail in a fancy french store and the uh the manager hated me. I could just tell. He was this, this gay guy and he just hated me. And I said, you don't like me, do you? He said, I've never seen someone who has everything and is so intent on destroying themselves and throwing it all away. It makes me sick. And I was like, I mean, he was absolutely right. I was living in a $2,000 apartment. I was 22 years old. I had a vintage car. You know, I was like kind of anorexic, sort of drinking on my on my lunch breaks. He was absolutely, and I was miserable. Miserable. And he was absolutely right. I had nothing to say because I knew he was right. Even back then? Yeah. I didn't know how to get out of it, but I knew he was right. Yeah. I knew I wasn't grateful, but how do you get grateful?
1: You t- you, it's, you, know? you can't get
0: there intellectually.
2: You Yeah, you have to, it was like, you know, I got there through losing everything. Yeah. You that's why I like living in a pool house. I lived in a pool house for a year and a half. I was like, "This is
0: awesome!" <laughs> right by the pool. You know,
2: this is fantastic. You know, when you share a fucking room with like five different girls over two and a half years, I mean, on a single bed, it's like prison. You know, even though it's a really nice sort of living, I mean, it really just set the bar. I was never happier than when I was with my my ex boyfriend and we were living in a pool house, or even when we were living in Inglewood in this crappy. Scary area. I was just like I was like, oh God, money money isn't the answer. I mean it makes things easier. And yeah. sure, like I'd like to have money to pay my back taxes and be a little more comfortable and help my mom and stuff like that. But it's like money doesn't make you happy. It does come from the inside.
0: I could I couldn't agree more. Elaborate uh about
2: I mean I'd like more the- money
0: now, but um
2: I just, I, you know, when I had all that money, I, I just didn't appreciate it. I never appreciated it.
0: And the goal would be to have inner peace and money.
2: Yeah, how great would that be? Yeah, I don't know that many people who have that. Do you?
0: Not that I can think of, but I'm sure there's my goal. That's my goal. I'm inner sure peace and let's and be risk. the first. Yeah, let's be like inner me.
2: like gurus
0: with you know mil- yeah. guru millionaires.
2: Let's yeah. do that.
0: <laughs> um, they probably they probably dress in such a way that you don't know they're millionaires. You know what right, I mean? They probably never mention that they have a lot of money or they give a lot of it away. Who knows? Who knows?
2: I mean, I'm still struggling financially for sure. Um, but I have, you know, now I'm in a little apartment with my cat and I have some freedom and I'm sober. And it's like, so it's like it, it, it and I'm, I, you know, it took me to like my 40s till my dad totally cut me off. You know? I was like, really? So soon? <laughs> do you do you think it was the best thing that ever happened to you? Well, Him he, cutting you off? Well well, I got married right after that. he cut me off and I was like, Oh, oh okay. I got married like very quickly after that. I think my ex husband giving me no money, although I think he did it because he hated me and was angry and, you know, uh could rightfully do a spousal abuse defense. Um I think he did me
0: a favor. Was this the bread knife guy?
2: Yeah, I think that Panera. I probably... We'll call him Panera. I think I think that if I had had a lot of money, I would have continued to... I mean, I did continue to drink a little bit, and then I sort of bottomed out. And then I really kind of got my shit together because there were no more options left. Yeah. No one was going to save me anymore. And it was like, I was like, oh, it's on you now. I knew, and I knew that was coming. I always knew that was coming. I knew that was my destiny. It was like, I was just avoiding it. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't want to take care of myself. How do I avoid it this time? How do I duck it this time? And when I lost everything, I really started writing. Started writing for the fix. And you know, when you've got, you know, when you need fucking money, you know, you'll write. You find you you know, you find the inspiration. That's a real writer. You know? Writing when you don't feel like it, and I I'm just I'm not inspired. It's like, you know, it's like I got I got a deadline, I got a piece, I gotta make some money. <laughs>
0: so uh going back to the uh the san francisco meth oh. thing so you're up there you're living with uh, the mamas and the papas and
2: uh <laughs> i did start i mean i started off in coal valley with this yeah. girl who you know played guitar and um but she was like a pothead and as soon as i, I fell into crystal the crystal scene very quickly <clears throat> i'd never done any hard drugs and the second time I did crystal, something clicked in me and I just was like, Oh, this is what the way I've been wanting to feel my whole life and I didn't know that my mom had been addicted to amphetamines for fifteen years and then my uncle was addicted to amphetamines and my whole my whole system was set up for addiction, mm. specifically to amphetamines. And and I just fell down that hole really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I'd never been around, you know addicts or addiction and i didn't know what it looked like and so it sort of was like happening to me very slowly i was like i'm just experimenting i'm being free
0: this is in yeah. your 20s yeah I was tw- yeah 24 so give me some uh <clears throat> some vignettes of your descent into meth <clears throat> um
2: <sighs> well i snorted so much that i got infection in my face my whole face blew up i went to the er and um My parents, I finally called my parents and I called them and I said, "Uh, I'm sick. Something's wrong with me. I didn't tell them I was on drugs. And they took me to the doctor and the doctor looked up my nose and he said, What have you been putting up here? And I said, You know, nasal spray (laughs) and, and meth. occasionally. He said, this is an infection from drugs, you know, street drugs from meth. I've seen it before and you'll, you know, you need to stop doing that. My father flipped out. He started crying and he's like, I don't know who you are. I'd never been into drugs. He just cried the entire drive back to Oregon and then they moved me back to uh, LA to get sober. And of course, you know, it's just a geographic. Yeah, I found one person who did crystal and bam, I was in it again. But, you know, Some of those days were the funnest times. I mean, I was really, there was some real characters. I don't know if you read that part in the book, but it was like, there was, you know, they were all junkie poets and we were all up for five days and we were all, you know, one guy shot, uh, you know, a quarter of crystal and went into an amphetamine psychosis and thought the cops were after him for two weeks. And, you know, I. What's a quarter
0: of crystal? Quarter gram? Yeah. Yeah. That 's a lot,
2: then, yeah, for the first time it's yeah. yeah, and he was kicked out of a strip club because he thought the, the the you know the stripper's rose was miked and and this kind of stuff, and then he was like, you know, I went to go get some groceries, and I came back and he painted helter skelter on the inside oh, of the no. window, and I come in, no. I swear to God, and he 's in like red female underwear and like th- like you know thigh highs, and he has a carving turkey knife, and he 's like. Come on, pigs! I'm ready for you. I was like, "Whoa, dude!" Wow.
0: For yeah. people that don't know, Helter Skelter is what was painted on the walls uh, during the Manson uh, murders.
2: Woo. Yeah, he went into a full amphetamine psychosis, and he was in it for like two weeks. It was gnarly.
0: Yeah. Give me some. Give me some other. Uh, some other vignettes. Not that that one's not gnarly right? enough.
2: I asked this, there was this guy up there who, um, I call him Blade in the book, and he had long, long dreadlocks, and he was known to be able to get anything, you know, and I said, I want speed, and he said, I don't deal with that stuff, it'll kill you, I was like, oh, and he said, but I know someone, they'll call you, and I was like, okay, so... The guy shows up with speed and, you know, I'm really green. I'm really new to the drug trade. So I take the bag and I bring it around to all my roommates. Is this good? Does this look like a fat quarter? You know, the guy's sitting there with his hoodie and he just looks so pissed off. And, you know, does this look like good? Should I buy this? What do you guys think? Should we try? Can we try it? You know, I just had no idea. And after he left, I heard he wanted to like either beat the shit out of me or sell me into the sex trade, which I found very flattering. But um, <laughs> so he was just like you're a little green I'm gonna hook you up with someone else and he hooked me up with this sort of like bosomy gothic chick and I ended up running drugs for her for a while and what was that like it was I mean my whole you know every couple months I'd call and she's like you know we were clean we're you know we don't do that anymore it's bad for your heart I like hang up I'm like boo (laughs) no it was fine I just was covering my own habit and then uh but I have epilepsy now from crystal meth, and that is makes all the depression and stuff more complicated. How so? And the medications. Well, after you have a grand mal seizure, and I've had like twelve of them, you're pretty depressed. <laughs> um, and when I started having it, you know, it felt very depressed
0: chemically or situationally because
2: you're very, you're very depressed chemically. Oh, your brain is really rattled. Yeah. Oh. And your whole body hurts because every muscle's been tense. It's a very, it's a, it's a huge assault to the brain. I have actually hyperactive lesions on my frontal lobe from all the crystal meth I did. Really? Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't know how common that is, but cause I only use for like a year and a half, but I'm like a delicate Jew. So, you know, <laughs> cause they're like, there's like rednecks. They're like, I shot for seven years and they're fine. Yeah, You know, I smoked for a year and a half and I have full-blown grandma epilepsy now for the rest of my life. I've had it since I was 33. Wow. And those medications are, you know, you've been on mood stabilizers. Those medications, yeah. I mean, these are like oh, even the most hardcore mood stabilizers. The Epilepsy medications are really sedating. And do you take them every day? Effects.
0: Yes. Oh, God, yeah. Because you can't drive without them, right?
2: No, I've lost my license twice. Yeah. Because I don't have an aura either. I'll just be talking to you and I'll wake up on the floor.
0: You don't have a what? An aura?
2: An aura is when you feel it coming. Oh. Like you feel oh weird or you see your lights or something. You feel it coming. I don't have it coming.
0: Yeah. You just see the ambulance driver standing over. What's your birthday?
2: Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Who's so, the president? Yeah.
2: And I could now you're you're like <laughs> and then you kept t- totally drawing a blank. It's the worst. George Washington. <laughs> what year is it? You're like huh?
0: uh. <laughs> Um. Two things I want to uh, talk about. Um, the, uh, when you decided to, uh, I, I don't know if it was a, d- a decision or not, you kind of hit a sexual bottom. Oh. Um, that so often goes hand in hand with meth. Was that the, no, the case for I you? No,
2: t- I was a crafty tweaker. I collaged and refinished furniture. I didn't have sex with anyone when I was on Crystal Math. What? I know.
0: Isn't that weird? I know. I suppose there are kind of two types. The kind that takes a watch apart.
2: Yeah, that's what I I was. Okay. Yeah, collager.
0: I collaged
2: a lot. Okay. Dumpster diving and like collecting things and you know, you know, plucking your eyebrows for seventeen hours (laughs) and that kind of stuff. (laughs) No, I never had sex on Crystal Math. So what you- I was in love with the drug. I mean, when yeah. I I was pretty much celibate during most of my drug use. My drug was my thing, and I wasn't ex- you know exactly a catch either. I was pretty strung out.
0: So what what brought about the um, the depths of you know as you call it uh, depravity or you know?
2: So I'm in I'm in uh, my. S- Fifth rehab, sixth rehab. I'm going through a horrible divorce. I'm going through an awful criminal trial.
0: And this is in your mid-30s or? Uh, early 40s. Okay. And um,
2: I just wanted out. The pain, it was so, I had so much pain inside me and I was so frightened because it was about growing up and it was about losing everything. I had no money and I didn't know how I was going to take care of myself. And I. And clearly
0: you didn't feel you could take care Absolutely of yourself.
2: Absolutely not. Yeah. Right. Um and I started self-harming. I started mm-hmm. cutting a lot and then I started to just sexually act out and I found very quickly that you can get a high from that and it can take you out of yourself and I was I wanted the validation, and uh, I needed the distraction. I needed to be numb. Uh, I had nothing in my life and I wanted to feel, you know, I was like div- a divorcee. I wanted to still feel like I was, mm-hmm. you know, attractive and all that kind of stuff. And, um, it quickly got
0: really out of control. Share for the listener, if you can, the difference between acting out sex and healthy sex.
2: <laughs> acting out sexually is, feels compulsive um you engage with people that you're not even necessarily attracted to uh you do it in situations that are dangerous for you you do things you don't want to do you let yourself get treated really badly um it's like getting a fix yeah it's just getting a fix i go through tender and i had to get a fix and so this was the guy. This was the night. He was cute. He's
0: into it. We're it's on. Yeah. You know. And and there's usually on one or both parties. Uh, there's usually some type of hidden agenda, some type of manipulation that I think somebody is getting off on, or some some type of power trip. But it's the opposite of uh, healthy sex, which for me is you're completely transparent with that person. Yes. You feel s- seen and safe. accepted yeah, yeah. and safe.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would cry driving home from some of these experiences. They cut quite a few of them out of the book. Mm. <clears throat> um, some of the re- – some mortifying ones. I mean, mortifying. And I would cry driving home and think, I'll never do that again. And I would delete Tinder from my, app, my phone. And two days later, I'd be doing it again. And I was like, what the fuck's happening? Mm. I didn't understand. Healthy sex to me feels like it's about intimacy. Mm -hmm. and connection and for me my thing was the opposite i did not want intimacy i wanted to use you or be used by you and check out yeah i wanted validation i wanted endorphins i did not want any intimacy i didn't want to look at you i didn't want any of that
0: yeah it's uh you 're dehumanizing yourself and the other and the other yeah. person you 're kind of just turning you both into objects like I want this scenario to to play out because this will take me out yeah, and of- it was
2: you know and it's you know even if the, and it was confusing too because as a woman you 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 feel a weird bonding when you have sex with someone, even if you don 't like them, you want them to like you and i I wanted to be in love, and I wanted a relationship. And so, you know, especially it was confusing, too, when sometimes they'd hold you after and then they'd never call you again. I was like, what? Mm. You know, I would try and set up safety boundaries for myself. And I would try and I had like a couple of guys that were my friends that I'd known for a long time. But they were they had girlfriends that they lived with. And so that also sort of reinforced my feeling like I was good enough to sort of be your fuck buddy. But I wasn't good enough to be your girlfriend. Mm hmm. Um, I mean, a perfect example is there was one guy and um, he used to hand me a hot, wet towel after to wipe myself down. I was like, are we in a sushi restaurant? Am I in a, am I, in, you know, am I in, on an airplane? Like, what is that? That's so clinical. So weird. I thought it was so weird. It was just so, I just, I remember one time I got really angry. He didn't kiss me. That was another thing. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll fuck you and they won't kiss you. And I just said, I've had more intimate interactions with the fucking barista at Starbucks. Like, fuck you. Like, if you're going to treat me like a whore, leave money on the table. Like, that was so upsetting. Mm. And it just felt, it felt super compulsive and really dark and much more shaming than my drug use. Yeah. Even my IV drug
0: use, to be honest with you. Uh, and, and something I think you don't experience uh, when you're acting out sexually is there's no laughter.
1: It's usually (laughs) very
0: serious. It's very, uh, it's, it's. I don't know. It's, it's, it's. It's a drug deal. It's a drug drop. It's it's almost robotic. You know, it's kind of almost. um, It's hard. It's hard to put into words, but you know it. If if you've struggled with sex addiction, you know the feeling between healthy sex and compulsive oh God, avoiding so, yeah something
2: i mean that was another thing too i mean to be you know you want to get dig deep i didn't have an orgasm with anybody until i was in my 40s what yeah not through my marriage not through any of that and part of that was i think some of that childhood stuff with my dad kind of not feeling like i was allowed i felt embarrassed I didn't want to give up control i didn't want to feel that exposed i didn't want to feel that vulnerable i didn't want to that felt weird to me to sort of show you how much like i just didn't yeah
0: because to to show pleasure you you felt would be making yourself vulnerable yeah 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 yeah. abandoned i remember
2: one time i think uh, you know it was actually in my marriage and i you know I actually had like had an orgasm with like a toy and then I cu- I curled in a ball and I cried because I felt so vulnerable and ashamed. Wow. And this was someone I was married to. Wow. Yeah. And I thought, I thought maybe something was just wrong with me physically, to be honest with you.
0: Well, sometimes people who have experienced like, sexual trauma will uh, cry oh, after no. orgasm. That can be really common. Um, but then
2: just again, you know, uh, I dated someone during my divorce, and I had, like, seven orgasms with him the first night I was with him. And I was really not that attracted to him, and I don't know why, but I felt really safe, I guess. Or he knew what he was doing. I was like, are you a wizard? Like, what just happened? And that sort of opened the gates where... And that, again, for me, my a lo- part of my sexual addiction was, like like I said, was me owning it. I'm fucking you. Mm-hmm. You're not fucking me. I'm fucking you. Mm-hmm. Which was... To an extent true, but I also knew it was a lie. Because if they didn't call, was I devastated? Right. They didn't text. I was, you know, I wanted each person to fall in love with me and be my boyfriend. And I wanted to be held. And I wanted love. And I knew that. And I was sort of cloaking it in this sort of pro-sex, like, feminist, like, Mm -hmm. I'm a stud. Like, bullshit. And I knew I was
0: lying to myself. You know? And deep down, you know that you are taking. You know what I mean? You're not not, not giving. I
2: I felt so emotionally stripped every time. I mean, that went on for like two years, two or three years. It was so... <sighs> that was the hardest stuff to write in the book. Why? Because it's so embarrassing. Some of the situations I put myself in with strangers, the way I let myself be treated, that I did things. But I knew I was like, I am not the only person who has done things that they didn't want to do because they felt pressured or they were afraid the person would be mad at them or they felt like they couldn't say no or i know that they, i mean they might not have taken it to that extent but i know that that core experience and feeling is universal absolutely um but those were the hardest parts to write and it was the hardest to relive that stuff and i really could feel myself kind of wanting to hold back and not and i just said you know i, I quote him all the time jerry blurred my book you know permanent midnight He said, if you had the nerve to live what you lived, you should have the nerve to write it. And I was like, okay, fucker. And so I just, everything that I felt tight and like I didn't want to put on the page, I was like, that's, I was like, that's what's gotta, you gotta put that down. Yeah. Because that's the stuff that, that people connect to. That's just, everyone wants that. You know, you gotta see that thing that everyone's thinking and feeling that no one says. Yeah. That's That's the best art. That's the best art. I was like, fuck my ego. If I'm trying to look good in a drug memoir, hello. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not being honest enough. It's like, okay, fine. I mean, there's certainly, I was like, well, I did not have, I, I did not have my father read it. Yeah. There are parts, he doesn't want to see his little girl like that. I mean, yeah, That was, would be hard. Yeah, and my parents just don't need to relive like the suicide attempts and me shooting coke in my neck and having a f- grandma seizure or, you know, being treated like trash by men and stuff like that. But it was like, that was the hardest stuff to write. And I think we still, you know, we have a lot of shame around sex and especially, you know, sexual addiction, which we don't, you know, it's like, what is that? What does that come
0: from? It's, it's much more. I I think it's definitely trauma informed, you know, or abandonment. Yeah. Abandonment's
2: a big, that's a big, big, big button for me. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, the happy ending of my book, you know, left me in April and boy, You've never seen I mean I could be I could be in a nunnery, I'm just like <sighs> closed for renovation. I am mm-hmm. so emotionally and sexually shut down, and it's like I don't know what it'll take to get back that i got I feel like I got abandoned, and that's mm-hmm. my big thing from my childhood, from my mom. she left, she left when I was two, she left when I was thirteen. you know my husband, my ex-husband he abandoned me, he left me penniless in a psych ward. Now this guy abandoned me, you know. So that's like a big, big thing. You know? But I've not been in Tinder since. That, that's like eBay for cock. It's too scary. <laughs> <coughs> it's really too easy. You got good pictures, it's easy. If you're a good-looking girl, like, you can get laid really easily. It's terrifying. And it's like, it just gotta left me so empty. Oh. It was and i went to meetings for it i went to support groups and i just it's all in the book didn't really fit in didn't really find the resources i needed um i think i i don't know it'll be interesting to see what what comes out next because then i fell in love and so then it was Mm -hmm. like then it was like then i was a love addict or whatever and so now i'm sort of you know shut down everything so i don't know what the next period will be more will be revealed oh god Mm. I I don't see myself going back to that, but I mean, Mm. I said
0: that with drugs, too, so, you know, you just don't know. You don't know. Sometimes, I heard somebody say, talking about addiction, they said, addiction is dancing with an 800-pound gorilla. (laughs) You don't decide when the dance is over. (laughs) Um we were talking before we started recording and none of the psych ward experiences were uh, helpful to no. you. Yeah. They were
2: very, I'm, um, I don't, uh, so I was in a blackout on Ativan and um, I kept calling my father and telling him I wanted to kill myself. And I was actually in support groups, mm-hmm. kicking over chairs and saying, I'm a princess motherfuckers, but I was in a blackout. I don't remember any of it. Oh my God. I, I know. And my dad said, I think you need to go somewhere and cool out. And I was like, Do you mean like a spa? <laughs> right? So jappy still, right? <laughs> and he's like, Kind of. And I was so out of it, I signed myself into the psych ward. And of course, then I was like, They told me there was a spa. So that's why I brought my bathing suit. And they just fucking gorked me right there they just were like psychotic you know just oh, med- super medic i was like i'm worried my cat's not eating they're like did he tell you that i was like i mean i just <laughs> you know, you're in a paper gown you know everything you say sounds crazy you look yes. crazy you sound crazy so um and i you know the food is terrible so you lose nine thousand pounds I and mean, if you want to lose weight that's the place to go
1: yeah
2: um but i've always was over medicated it's extremely depressing
0: now, there are people who have filled out the survey. We have a psych ward experiences oh. survey where it has been life changing in a positive way for them. I think they're in the minority and it always seems to have to do with them feeling seen and validated and treated as a person and not just a body there. That's, you know, it's a rest stop, uh you know, a holding tank for. Uh To keep somebody safe for seventy two hours, yeah that
2: was you know i was fifty one fifty they were all fifty one fifties yeah um you see really severe, severe mental illness, and you see people who have been there you know fifty a hundred times
1: mm.
2: and um it makes you feel kind of like a little bit of an asshole too when you see people who think you know you know the moon controls their penis or you know their whatever it like you know. <laughs> Like really psychotic, you know, people and people going, you know, undergoing electroshock and you're there because, you know, I just felt like, but I want, I never had wanted to kill myself so much as I did in the psych ward. It was so depressing. And it's like, and I was also, I maintained, it's weird. You're there because you're crazy, but you're also judging everyone else as being really crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's in my book. Like I can't, you know, they're like, you're kind of an asshole, but, but I was an asshole. Like I would make fun of people. I was like, I was like laughing because that was my way to distance myself. Cause, and this German guy said to me, we were in a group and I was just, I thought everything was hysterical. You know, this mm-hmm. woman was like, they were like, what's your goal for the day? It was like goal group, you know? And, uh, this Russian woman with like no teeth, with like a small goatee. She was like, my goal for the day is to pray to the baby Jesus because you're all talking about me. And it's all negative. <laughs> right. So, of course, I start laughing. Right. My roommate's like, stop laughing. You're an asshole. Right. And after the class, uh, the, gr- the group, uh, this German guy came up to me and he said, you know, you think uh, we're all crazy and you're not. But you're here for a reason, too. You might want to think about that. And I was like, fuck wow i was like he's right you know but um it was never a good experience i mean i got good material out of it but um it was very 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 depressing and the beds suck
0: oh i would imagine
2: i would imagine and the food is terrible and they don't they didn't really help you the groups of what you want to you know it's like oh you want to make a leather fucking belt you know, you want to do puzzles all day. I mean, the TV's always on. You know, make a fucking ashtray. It's I like, love, how does that help you?
0: I love you know? that they take your belt and then they have you make one. You
2: know, whatever. <laughs> well, I don't remember. I never went to Whatever. Yeah. Leather works. I mean, we yeah. get it confused with camp. But it was like, yeah. you know, you know, ha- you know, painting things and you know, grooming group and it's like, yeah, that kind of shit. You know, it's like I know how
0: to brush my fucking hair. That's not why I'm here. So let's talk about. Unless there's anything else you want to touch touch on, let's let's talk. Uh, about today, what, what, how has your self-talk changed when you were at your worst to how you are today?
2: First of all, having written the book, I get messages all the time from people saying, oh my God, thank you for being real. Thank you for your rawness. Like I totally saw myself on every page. Like I laughed, I cried, I was sad, You know identified and so it's like you know that makes me feel not alone and i think a big part of for me my mental for my depression and my alcoholism is feeling really lonely and alone and Mm -hmm. no one gets it and i'm different than anyone else and no one will understand and you don't know what it's like to be me and Mm -hmm. all that kind of shit and writing that book and really being out there with it and people going god i fucking Mm. you know you wrote my memoir you know then i'm like okay um i'm much kinder to myself now too and I've been in th- enough th- – I've been in every type of therapy. So it's like I have all the tools, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy. I know all this stuff. Um, I. It's funny, too, though. Even when I get into a depression, even now, I still have that weird feeling like this one's never going to end. Mm-hmm. Like they all end, but you're like, this is the one that's going to take me out. Yep. Right? it's not, it's never going to lift. I'm going to feel this way forever. I feel, you know, it's like, I know intellectually they all go away eventually, but every single fucking time I have it, I'm like,
0: this is, this is the one. Mm -hmm. This is it. Just like when you work, this is, this is the last job I'm ever (laughs) going to have. Nobody's ever going to hire me again.
2: (laughs) Simple love, right? I'll never, I'm going to be alone forever. You know, um, I just, I tell people how I'm feeling I cry. I try and write it out. Sometimes my, most, the, my best mm-hmm. stuff is when I'm in the most pain, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I get massages. I, do, I try and do self-care do like self-care you know, is so you know, fucking huge you know it's like get a massage do a pe- you know have, take a hot bath like i said hmm. i nap, take I'm a nap napaholic you, man i'm yeah. all about it i'll start the group fuck it you know yeah. that shit a good nap can reset you you wake up and you're like oh okay always does right you're me. like yeah you're like, you just kind of get yourself out of it it's like rebooting the computer um sometimes i force myself to you know socialize even if i don't feel like it or go to a support group Mm -hmm. even if it it always sort of shifts me a little bit even though i want to sort of um i don't cut i don't fuck anybody i don't uh do any drugs i don't drink anymore i don't do any i I vape yay okay so that's Mm -hmm. my you know i'm a douchebag i don't do any like really (laughs) super self-destructive stuff like i did um i wish i meditated that really helped me like that made me feel so happy and sane that i stopped doing it i don't understand why i I was like this works great i'm gonna stop (laughs) (laughs) right what
0: i stopped doing it the second time a a day (laughs) And I can't get myself to go back to doing Not, it twice right? a day, but I do it every morning, oh, you do, yeah. yeah,
2: see, I was doing the the yeah, I was doing it twice a day, God, I felt like things just rolled off me, and it was like I was like felt centered, and I really felt separate from my thoughts and my feelings, I'd be like, oh, that's an interesting, shitty thought, you know. Mm-hmm. And now I let it go, and fuck, I can't get back. Same with the gym. Every time I go to the gym, I was like, God, my ass looks great. I feel great. I'm going to do this every day. Missed one day. Bam. That was a year ago. I don't even know where the gym is
0: now. <laughs> you know, I walked into the gym one time. This was years ago. And I swiped my card, and the woman behind the counter <laughs> gasped. And she said, you haven't been here in 700 days. <laughs> And I said, I think I need to cancel my membership then, because... Uh, I know, but
2: that's the thing. I keep going, well, I'm going to freeze it. I should freeze it. I should freeze that's... it. I should cancel. But I'm, no, I'm going to go tomorrow. I'm going to go tomorrow, you know.
0: And then you go, but I don't feel like getting up and walking across the room and finding the number and then calling it. Oh, I think I'll take a nap.
2: <laughs> um, I just try and be kinder with myself. Yeah. I think I also know the genetic component, and so... <sighs> I've lived with it long enough to know that these are things that are part of me and it is part of my brain chemistry or my psychological makeup. And I go through these periods and I'll continue to go through these periods. Mm-hmm. And so kind of just to, you know, kind of just like, you know, buckle down and just kind of wait for the storm to pass.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Patience is so yeah. huge. Just Dealing going, with okay. here illness.
2: We're in a little funk. Okay. Yeah. So let's just, to- you know, don't push it. Don't beat myself up. Mm-hmm. And just
0: kind of, you know,
2: hunker down guys, you know,
0: yeah um we we tend to go to that place of uh using the word always or never oh uh, yeah avoiding that extreme yeah, yeah the black stuff. and white thinking um
2: and i don't do something i don't do anything to try and fix it like i used to that talk about that because that's so important <laughs> i used to just i was so uncomfortable and i just wanted out i wanted to fix it all the time it just was so hard to be on the planet I needed something. And, you know, I've done all the medications. And I literally just recently was like, you know, like I said, I'd been sick. And I mean, being sick, I was like, fuck, I'm depressed. And I thought, maybe I should tweak my meds. And it's like, it's hard to know how much of it is just chemical going on inside and how much of it is... Oh, I had expectations for what the, how the book would do or mm-hmm. that I would, you know, be in a relationship or that I would this, or I would be here by now and I just had a birthday and that's always a big measuring stick, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to know sort of, you know, the reality testing of what's, what's situational and what's chemical.
0: Super hard. Super hard. I heard somebody say one time, they might've even wrote this in, uh, how you feel about your hobbies or passions? If you have no interest anymore in your hobbies or your passions, then it's probably chemical. Interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, certainly huh. at least something to think about.
2: Because I was always like, "How do you? How do you? How can I tell?"
0: Yeah. Because I went through a period of s- several years where I didn't want to woodwork, I didn't want to play guitar. Well, that's a chemical depression. That's like a serious yeah. depressive i thought i was just lazy you know i thought i'm just uh difficult to please (laughs) but now i can see that it was i was depressed yeah i was depressed i needed that kind of apathy yeah yeah
2: yeah that sort of apathy um i well i've had you know a couple enough nerves like what else yeah i just don't try and i don't i don't i just ride the wave
0: now yeah somebody wrote in a in a uh survey last week um it's okay to not be okay.
2: Yeah, it's like it's a, okay, I'm uncomfortable, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. like okay, so I'm in a little bit of a funk and you know they're like okay, you've been sick for a while so you're you really you're all fucked up chemically from that from being in bed for two weeks and being sick or you know but it's like for me also I'm quite moody. And it can shift really quickly, which is fun, but sort of terrifying also, you know? It's like no one telling you that there's going to be turbulence ahead, you know? It's like, I'm not bipolar and I'm not borderline, but I definitely can have some mood swings.
0: Your bipolar line.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I can pop out of it all of a sudden? Mm Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I'm at, and then all of a sudden you're kind of like, whoa, I'm back, why yeah. is everybody mad? The back. Yeah, mad. what are you guys upset about? <laughs> People are like, whoa, you know, it's like, so I'm not, I, I, I'm also, I don't, I don't fucking label shit anymore. Mm hmm. I'm not interested in, you know, well, I'm this and I'm this and I'm this. I'm not interested in the labels. Because
0: it's not who you are. It may be something you struggle with. Yeah, and it's. it's
2: I, there's so much overlap, and I think there's so much over diagnosis of certain things now. Mm-hmm. I think bi- I, what Everyone's bipolar now. That's like the big one. You know, everyone was borderline a couple of years ago, and now everybody's bipolar. It's very trendy. Very <laughs> trendy.
0: All the, um, all the kids are doing it.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I'm more instead of trying to fix it or avoid it i'm more in acceptance of it I'm just like oh we're in one of these okay
0: man that's that's uh okay that's some emotional ninja shit you know to to be able I to i mean i've
2: been sort of you know so sick and depressed and whatever it was like i mean when this guy broke up with me whoa i lost so much weight people were like are you okay and i'm already thin and I'm, i haven't really put it all back i started chain smoking and i cried every fucking day I cried an ocean of tears. And I just, saw, and the, my first thought was, I'm going to kill myself. And my second thought was, I'm going to use. And then I was like, you're not going to do any other of those. You're going to feel your fucking feelings like normal people do. And you're going to get through it. You know? It's a heartbreak. Welcome to fucking humanity, Amy. <laughs> you know? You will get through it. You will love again. You will be okay. And it'll take as long as it takes. And maybe you'll get some interesting writing out of it. But it was super painful, but I lost so much weight. People were like, Jesus, you know, Auschwitz winter casuals, like, what's going on? <laughs> they were like, yikes. <laughs> you know, it was really, I really looked not well. Yeah. And that's sort of, you know, I, you know, kind of shut down. But for me, I considered it a win because I didn't use, and I didn't, I didn't try and kill myself. And those are my, you know. And then you
0: have that moment to lean on. yeah now i'm like wow i got
2: through that yeah Yeah. i'm like fuck i got through that yeah and i didn't fucking do anything really really stupid yeah you know so it's funny i i went to i've been on medical disability for a couple years because my psych ward history was very very colorful and they have you do a mental health exam they ask you questions and uh it's just strange you know do you know what this, this uh, spilt milk, uh, there's no use uh, crying over spilt milk. Do you know what that means? <laughs> right? And then I started crying because I started thinking about my ex boyfriend. And I said, Yes, I know what that means. It means it's gone and it's never coming back. And there's no use being upset about it. (laughs) And she said, But are you doing that? And I was like, Obviously not. And I was like, I just thought, if that doesn't help me keep my Medi Cal, you know, just (laughs) crying on this, just dig right in that heartbreak spot. But then they ask you also, like, you know, I'm going to four words, you know, pen. Uh, bottle, lamp, and shade. And then I'll I'll ask you them again in a, in a couple of minutes. And I mean, I've done so many drugs and I've had so many seizures. My memory is pfft, so I couldn't remember any of those. I didn't have to fake that shit. Yeah. Like, that's what I think I'm, uh, I'm upset also with. Uh, I think that we don't have the mental health support system that we really need to have. I shouldn't have to have been in the psych ward or have tried to kill myself to be able to keep my benefits I mean I don't get any money but they pay for my medications that I need I should they should support the fact that I'm doing better Yeah. and that I'm trying to build a life for myself and build a career and that I'm doing better I shouldn't be punished because I you know haven't dropped the ball in a couple of years I shouldn't have to pretend I'm more crazy than I am agreed you know and the amount of people that I see that are homeless that are mentally ill that shit breaks my heart you don't see that in other countries.
0: Nope. That's one of the biggest things I noticed in Europe was right? I was like
2: I lived in Europe for 3 years. You don't see that. Mm-mm. No. Nope. It's because our medical system is, is tot- fucked.
0: So totally fucked. And fucked. now
2: it's even more fucked. I mean, granted Reagan like let everyone out and whatever mm. and there's no like homes, but it's like it's totally fucked. Totally fucked. And it's like there's this, it makes me so sad. I think there should be free rehab for everyone. Mm. I think there should be much I think there should be free medical care for everyone. You don't see that in France. You don't see that in England. I see fucking crazy people, homeless people. It's like, mm-hmm. that literally it makes me... And, uh,
0: and then you talk about the mental strain uh, of fearing that Canadian you can be program. bankrupt by a health issue that you may or may not right? even have control over. Oh, yeah. That, that looming over your head, that... That's no, it's so fucked up. Crazy making. Let's move to Canada. Yeah. Oh, I've already uh, asked for marriage proposals in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I'm not kidding. I'm like, uh, I play hockey. I. I love cold weather. It's like you're, I've loved Canada for a long. I've had my eye on Canada since I was a kid. I love
2: Canadians. Canadians love my book. So the I go nicest
0: out people, right? They're the awesome. nicest people. Humble, smart, yeah. funny. Yes. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. yeah, Toronto. I've never been. I call me stories. Toronto. <laughs> I'll shovel your sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had to shovel snow in many, <laughs> many years, but...
2: I mean, the other thing, too, is is
0: uh, I have a pet.
2: I think a pen, I think pets are very soothing. Right?
0: So soothing.
2: If I uh, I have a cat, Colonel Puff Puff, and I, <laughs> I know it's such a dumb name. <laughs> so oh, you dumb.
0: can't even imagine the names that we... Oh, I heard... With. I was yeah.
2: listening to one of your podcasts, and... Uh, I, we just got over about a Ringworm. Isn't that fun? $1,500. Oh it's the fucking worst, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, the medication and the shavings mm-hmm. and the dips. Oh. The rotten egg
0: smells great. Isn't that awesome? Oh, it's yeah. the worst. Yeah. Do you have a cat it's, or a dog? Uh, we had two dogs. We only have one now. Mm-hmm. Our little guy passed away in Oh, May. I'm sorry. Yeah. It was, I just was, look, I Ugh. have a hard time even looking at pictures of him Ugh. right now because it's so, so new. And Ugh. it feels silly because, no, it's but so, dog people get it. Dog no, people understand. The,
2: the, the pet, the, loss of a pet is brutal. It's I mean, brutal. Yeah. When I, one of my, When one of my cats died, I lost my fucking shit, and my parents were like, "Are we gonna have to put you in the psych
0: ward? Are you gonna like come back from this?" Like I lost it. I cried harder when he died than I have over any death in my in my life. It's a very special bond. Very special bond. It was. Well, Amy, thank you so much for uh, a really great conversation. And uh uh your book is called My Fair Junkie, a memoir of getting dirty and staying clean. Um we'll put all your links up cool. on, on the show notes great. uh for this. And um thank Man, you so much for opening up. Really, I haven't gotten this this raw and honest like <laughs>
2: since woo. <laughs> You'd be a good therapist. You got in there, man. That was like, wow.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I'm very flat. <laughs> oh, that is one funny human being and a great writer. So yeah, check her book out. It's called My Fair Junkie, and we'll put links to all of her stuff on our uh, on our website. But first. I want to tell you about Casper mattresses. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. With three mattress models, the original Casper, the Wave, and the essential, Casper mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. Not to mention, the breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the night. And... It's delivered right to your door in a small, how-do-they-do-that-sized box with free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. But the best part is that you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. After all, you spend a third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. In my case, yeah, there's been periods where it's two-thirds of my life, but... uh I uh, got one of their mattresses. It's super comfortable. It was easy to uh, take out of the box and set up. And um, yeah, it literally could not be simpler. And uh, I highly recommend it. So start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash mental and using mental at the checkout. That's casper.com slash mental and offer code mental. For $50 off your mattress purchase, terms and conditions apply. I got some really good um, emails this last week from from people, and uh, I want to read one of them. Uh, This is from Caitlin, and uh, she writes, My family has weird money issues. Uh, that I now realize aren't normal. My mother uses money as a form of control, insisting on listing bills in her name and wanting to do everyone's taxes. She buys cars and homes for her closest friends and me, but then holds it over our heads. She isn't rich, but she does make six figures and buys old cars and run-down houses. She then makes snide comments about who pays the bills and reminds you of her paying for things if she wants her way about something. However, when I suggest I take over paying a bill, she refuses. Another part about this issue that is a real mindfuck, the snide comments from other people. Must be nice to have someone pay all your bills or can your mom adopt me from people who just don't get it. I would much rather pay my own bills than deal with this manipulation. I just feel incredibly guilty and anxious when I think about pissing my mother off by changing names and accounts on the bills. I'm almost 30 years old, and I've been, quote, spoiled my whole life. I feel like I can't function as an adult, and now that I have a baby, it's overwhelming. Here is the only solution that I can think of, Caitlin, is that you're going to have to stick to your guns and Risk your mom being upset. That is part of growing up. And when my ex and I first started dating, uh, I was dependent on my family. And I don't know if, if there was the kind of control that's going on here, but then, you know, there was some control. And it, if not overtly from, from my mom, it, it, I felt like, well, you know, she's helped me buy this car so i should do this and i should do that and start by taking care of yourself emotionally and let that be the guide you know it's a different case if like you literally cannot survive and you need their money but still um that doesn't mean that you have to endure that abuse and honestly any relationship if you're not willing to walk away from it um there is, now I'm talking about adults because children don't have much choice. But in an adult relationship, if you're not willing to walk away from it, you have a part in that relationship because you are choosing to be around that person that is, that is causing you pain. And, um, I mean, maybe there's some exceptions that I'm not thinking of, but part of being an adult is, is accepting that people aren't happy with some of your decisions sometimes. Uh, This is an awfulsome moment uh, filled out by this chicken tastes like sexual frustration. I don't even know what that means, but I'm a fan. And he writes, Am I an asshole for being pissed off with my mother right now for sending me links to anxiety articles? It's New Year's Day for Christ's sake. Like, can I have a break, please? Fuck, I just want to enjoy the last day of my Christmas holidays before dealing with her issues for the seventh billion time. Oh, and this comes the day after spending New Year's Eve with her instead of being out on a date like a normal human. Normal human, it's never enough. What I just said to that previous listener applies completely to here your mother does not have a gun to your head you are trying to care for her emotionally and this is what happens this is what happens your mother you're also denying your mother a chance to see her sickness and until you do that she's she's not gonna she's not gonna wake up to it and but but you should do it for you. Um, sometimes the kindest thing that we can do for somebody in the long run is to stand up for ourselves and not give them what they want. Um, and let them cry and throw a fit. Just not take it personally. And anybody that is like, you know, but it's your mom or it's your dad, say, okay, then you go you go spend a you go spend a month there I go live at your house uh <laughs> this is an awful moment that i got through through the the mail and um let's see how do they want to be referred to uh turtle and um they write um because we had been talking about financial uh p- Sometimes is something financial abuse. By the way, it, it, it in the therapist community, it is an actual thing that has a, a name, and it's called financial abuse. Um, and one of the places where you see it a lot is actually in domestic violence situations, where the person um, uh, controls not only the other person physically and emotionally, but uh, but financially. Um, so uh, turtles. Awfulsome moment. One time I got a birthday card from my grandma that had a $20 bill in it. When I excitedly showed it to my stepdad, he smiled while yanking it out of my hand and said, let's get a pizza for the family tonight. I was so blindsided, I couldn't even react. Fast forward about 15 years, my stepdad is $500 short on a delivery coming to his store uh, that night and asked me to write him a check despite the fact that I don't have that money in my account. He assures me it's okay. The check shouldn't hit until Monday and by then he will have earned the money back from sales at the store so he can deposit it into my account. Brilliant plan, right? The check comes out that day. Uh, I happen to be in New York City and found myself suddenly with an overdrawn account and no ticket home. I called my stepdad in a panic. Annoyed, he goes, well, you shouldn't have so little money in there to begin with, that's irresponsible. Oh my God, thank you for that. This is, um this is a struggle in a sentence. Filled out by scapegoat number one. I'm a huge fan of scapegoat number one. Number two, I cannot keep enough scorn on scapegoat number two. Uh, About her depression, blankness, no motivation, lonely but don't want others around. Anxiety, uh, about her anxiety, dread, fear, rage, longing to scream and punch it all out of me. About alcoholism and drug addiction, like my truest friend would be dead without pot. Yesterday I drank vodka because I was mad at my best friend. I like to trash myself when I am in too much pain. About her love addiction, fantasy got me through childhood. TV held family for me. Uh, I made up other families for myself and it soothed me to sleep. About her OCD, I know my keys are in my hand on the way out the door, but I still have to stop and squeeze them hard in my hand to be certain. Um, uh, about compulsive behaviors, verbal lashings to strangers around me when I'm hating myself. No censor, big mouth. Don't care if I start a fight. Hate. Um, there's 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 more to this one, but I wanted to read it because I think this is a great example of um, the. The rage, what, how overwhelming it is when, when we are triggered into anger and we become the person we don't want to be, but it's like lava inside of us that, that we have to, we have to let out. And the only thing that I know that works for me is, is getting help, especially support groups. And there's something about talking to another human being who understands my issue that, just helps let the steam out otherwise this is where we go. this is where we go but thank you for uh, thank you for sharing that uh, and she writes, I'm doing EMDR uh, to help but it often feels like my blood is tainted in black I don't I don't believe that from what you've described you' you're beyond. Help, and it's a genetic thing with you. And I should know because I cook chicken on basic cable. This is an email I got from... Uh, how she want to be referred to? Sandra. Or do you say Sandra? And uh, she wrote this really nice email, and I get nice emails from listeners, but there's something about the wording of this that just, maybe I was just in a headspace where I was feeling lonely or not enough or whatever, but uh, she wrote, uh, Happy Holidays, Paul. Finding your podcast has been a bright spot in my year. Thank you for the safe space you create for your guests and your listeners and for reminding us we're not alone. Know that you are loved and appreciated. May you find the peace and happiness you deserve. I don't know. There was something about the sentence "know that you are loved and appreciated." Um, You know what it is? I think it's because in that moment, maybe I was, I wasn't feeling that, and it was like, it was almost like she she was reading my mind, and uh, it just, it really, uh, that really touched me, and so I wrote her, wrote her um, back, and thanked her, and she shared this, which I wanted to to read as well, and she writes, I turned a corner in my own healing when I finally understood that pretty much everyone has insecurities and, quote, stuff. That led me to stop reacting to the world around me from a place of shame, fear, and anger, and to embrace compassion instead. Where I used to actively avoid making eye contact with anyone because I felt I wasn't worthy, I now walk with my head up eyes and heart wide open and react to others in terms of what they might be struggling with instead of worrying how they might hurt me. It's been amazing. Thank you for that. And I wanted to read, I made a little list of lies that we tell ourselves in considering attending a social event or something. And I'm not talking about going to do something that is clearly on the face of it a toxic situation. But I'm talking about, may maybe you get invited to a, a party or an event and you're not sure how it's how it's going to be. These are these are all the things that the darkness or my addiction or my depression, whatever you want to call it, these are the, the greatest hits that my mind tells me. Ah, there's going to be traffic. Uh ah, you'll be, you'll be bored. You'll be overwhelmed. You'll feel alone. You'll be inconvenienced. You'll be miserable. You're not good enough. You'll feel alone, and eh, it won't work for you. It'll be embarrassing. You won't fit in. You'll be humiliated. Nobody will understand, and you're alone. If you find your brain telling you any of those things, there's a good chance that is the darkness or an addiction or trauma or something um, talking to you. Because I hear it over and over in my support groups. People share those same thoughts. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a guy who calls himself Paul, not Paul. I don't know what that means, but I'm just glad I was named, not once but twice, with hyphens about his depression Uh, Depression feels like a flickering neon open sign. Some days it's really bright and other days important letters are missing. That's so great. About his love addiction. Living without being in love feels like driving a car on two wheels like a stuntman. At any moment I could lose it and come crashing down. About his codependency. Why would anyone love me if they didn't need me to take care of them? Who wants an umbrella when it's not raining? Thank you for that. Um, And he writes, I support you through Patreon, but feel guilty that I can't buy more crap on Amazon to help you out with those kickbacks. Um, I buy a mug, but don't don't always want to be reminded of my mental illness every time I have a cup of coffee. If you had something with a cool or funny design on it that's not a logo, I'd buy it in a second. Uh, Love the show. Love you. Um, The only... I don't know if I have them without logos on them, though. We have a St. Herbert t-shirt that is a picture of my late dog, uh, Herbert, one of my favorite pictures of him. Um, So yeah, I'm not sure if you go to our buy stuff page on our website, you can see all the stuff that's, uh, that's available. This is a body shame survey, and this is filled out by either Eli or Ellie uh let's see is i think eli eli writes my fat uh what do you like or dislike about your body my fat stomach and my breasts my uh i it must be uh ellie Uh, My stomach for the usual reasons of just disliking being overweight and my breasts because of my abuse. They disgust me. I hate my breasts. My dad was obsessed with them and every chance he got, he tried to touch them or tell me how good they looked or I'd wake up to him caressing them in the middle of the night. That is so fucking sick. It makes me an awful person, but sometimes I think it would be good if I got breast cancer so I'd have a socially acceptable reason to remove them. That does not make you an awful person. What, what that makes is what happened to you fucking awful. And you're just a human being who is reacting normally to an abnormal situation. And um, I'm so sorry that that is the dad that you were dealt. That fucking sucks. But you are not weird or insensitive. This is an awful moment filled up. by turn that down. And, uh, she writes, losing my father to suicide with his new family in Texas because he was in hiding. He had become so paranoid that he didn't tell anyone where he was or who he lived with. When visiting his new life after passing, finding tons of pictures and videos of me that he was getting by stalking my social media sites and YouTubes, knowing he still loved me despite thinking he was saving me by staying away. And I wanted to read that because A, it's heartbreaking and touching, and it's such a great example of the variety of ways in which people try to love other people. And when my therapist suggested I take this survey called the "What are your, What are Your Love Languages," uh, I rolled my eyes because I was like, "Oh, this is one of those Ugh, fuck," and. It, I'm glad I did because one of the things I discovered is that I every person values ways of receiving and expressing love um, over other ways of doing it. And if you are in a relationship with somebody, it's important to know what ways of receiving love affect them more than others. Like some people don't give a shit about presents, but like... To have uh, you know to be held or hugged, other people like uh, to be given help by somebody but don't really care about somebody giving compliments and um, I didn't see stalking your child on the on the list of love languages though um, so that uh, that one might not be as uh, common I'm sorry, that was insensitive of me to crack a joke there. This is this is a psych ward experience, and this is filled out by three-quarters white noise. And um, she's a teenager, and uh, she was hospitalized for attempting suicide. Uh, did your experience as a patient uh, help you? No, it made it worse. Maybe it was this specific hospital but they kept me in my room a lot, so I thought a lot, and it made me worse. I went outside for maybe an hour altogether for those eight days, but at least I couldn't hurt myself in there, I guess. Um, that that seems to be a really a really common one, um, and then finally, this is uh this is a happy moment, and this was filled out by uh I, I chose not to do any shame and secrets uh surveys uh this week because i i don't know i just uh sometimes I just like to take a a break from <laughs> from all the uh reading about molesting um, this is filled out by trying to heal, and she writes, I struggle with depression and anxiety. Yesterday, I was having one of those gray days where I can't feel anything other than tired. I was laying on my bed with my wife. She was rubbing my arm while we listened to your podcast. My dog looks at me and gives out the tiniest little cry. So I invite her onto the bed and she curls right into my stomach and spoons me. Now I'm laying there being the little spoon to my wife and the big spoon to my dog. My gray blanket was turned down for as I was smashed between my two favorite girls. Happy birthday, Paul. My wife's birthday is the day after yours. We hope you have a great day. That made me want to get another dog, reading that, Uh, and a a, (laughs) a girlfriend. Um, Yeah, that was... And I love... It was so easy to picture your dog doing that little cry. I just love dogs that crave affection. I just love that, but more than anything, I wanted you guys to know that it's my birthday coming up and um and that I will only be accepting um overnighted caviar um monocles um I will accept uh a top hat but only if it comes with a jewel studded walking cane and if they're both delivered by horse drawn carriage and brought out on a sheet of velvet i don't know if that's too much to ask but i'm sure amazon probably has probably has something you can send um thank you guys for uh being such a big contribution to the show uh, creatively, your surveys, just listening. Um, I hope 2018, uh, I hope you feel growth in 2018 and I hope it brings perspective, a perspective that maybe you didn't have before that helps you navigate all the shit we deal with and um every bit of work i think is worth it the work on trying to improve our mental and emotional uh selves and i i hope this year you if you haven't done it yet you just des- you decide that you are worth reaching out and asking for help whether it's from a friend or a mental health professional um because if i didn't i wouldn't be here i wouldn't be doing the podcast that apparently apparently you enjoy and um and i love my life i never thought i would hear myself say that and it all started with me saying i can't do this by myself anymore so um just remember you're not alone and thanks for listening